We'll call that practice run. Hello, and welcome to the Youngin Kotisal podcast, where we are teachers helping teachers. My guest today is David Barker. David is the director of the English Center at Gifu University in Japan, originally from Wales. He became a teacher after working for two years as a police officer. He has a PhD in language education and has taught in Singapore, New Zealand, and Japan, where he has lived for 23 years. He is the founder of BTB Press and the author of a wide range of textbooks and Japanese language books for learners of English. David is one of the speakers you will have the opportunity to see and hear at the Kotisal International Conference being held online this year, February 19th to 28th. Welcome, David, to the Youngin Kotisal podcast. Hi, Greg. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Thank you very much for、uh, sharing your time. And I understand that you've just put your children to bed.、Uh, you have two small children, is that right? Not, not to bed, just taking them to nursery. Ah, to, nurse, to nursery school. Yeah. How old would they be? They are,、uh, I was a very late starter. I didn't have the first one until I was 50. So the first one is three, and the, the younger one is one. And so, how are you enjoying parenting? <laughs> That's. It's, yeah, it's, it's tough. It has its moments, I guess.、Um, I think it's funny because, you know, everybody,、uh, a lot of people say it's the most wonderful thing you've ever done. And I remember when my brother、uh, had young children, he was, you know, this is life changing. It's an incredible thing. I didn't find it like that at all. <laughs> no. <It's, laughs> not yet. Not, not yet. And,、um, people promise me that will come. So. Um, my, my son's old enough. My,、uh, I love motorcycles, and my son's old enough to ride a, a motorcycle now. So he's just not old enough to listen when I tell him to stop or、uh, to understand me when I say follow me. So、mm. uh, I end up chasing him around all over the place. But once he can, once he can do that, then、uh, it'll be a little bit more fun, I think. Sure. So do you still have、uh, a motorcycle? I have three, I think. Yeah, only three now. Well, that's great. When I had kids long ago, I started having kids when I was quite young. And、uh, one, of the, <laughs> well, one of the first things that went was、uh, motorcycling. That when I had young kids, the motorcycle went, you know, when I you know, got the practical、uh, automobile. So、mine, mine, didn't go, mine didn't go anywhere. They just haven't been ridden very much. That's the problem. <laughs> okay. Well, you'll have them when you're when yeah, you're yeah, yeah. get back to the Yeah. I occasionally still do. So, how have your, your kids?、Uh, I always find them impressive with their, their curiosity and their creativity. How have your kids impressed you lately?、Um, I think it's the opposite for me. I think they, they worry me a lot because they,、um, they don't,、uh, particularly with language, you know, you want your kids to be bilingual. And I think that there is a, I think that among the general public, people who are not parents、uh, of mixed、um, nationality children, There's this idea that if your dad speaks English, then naturally, of course, the kids will speak English. And looking at my friends and people, and it's certainly not the case.、Um, mm. it, it, you know, I, I have friends who, who 
I know people who can't speak to their kids because the kids only speak Japanese and the father only speaks English. And I said, well, how do you, how do, you do that? Or we, we kind of just get by, you know. <clears throat> and I, I want to um, try to make... I, I should have been bilingual as a child. My mother's native language is Welsh. Um, and all of, all of my cousins are, are Welsh speakers and, and we are not because my mother didn't speak Welsh to us. So, and I very much regret that as an adult. So I want to uh, make sure that my kids become bilingual. So it's, it's stress really more than <laughs> being impressive. It's, it's weird. Sometimes you say really simple words and they, they can't repeat them or they can't understand them. And then other times they'll come out with a word that you said three days ago once and suddenly, you know, they've hung on to that. So it's very surprising and unpredictable, I think, the way that they pick up language. Well, the, the stresses and wonders of being a parent of young children. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes. Um, you uh, mentioned uh, in the, your your bio that you were two years as a police officer. So I'm kind of wondering how that those two years being a police officer has uh, informed your your teaching or your approach to English education? Um, I don't think it directly influenced my teaching. I think it influenced me in, in terms of who I, who I am, and then that in turn influenced my teaching. I think when you, for it to give you an example, when you when you're a new policeman, it's a little bit like being a new teacher. You suddenly have this authority, but you don't, really feel that you should because you're new it's it's very strange so um in the police we would you know go in the first few months you're kind of walking around and you're a police officer but you don't feel like one you just i was you know i was a student three weeks ago um <laughs> not three weeks they don't let you out that quickly <laughs> but <laughs> uh, three months ago so right. for example you know when, when you put a parking ticket on a car because it's parked in a ridiculous place you would feel um, oh my God, I hope the driver doesn't come back. I'm going to get in trouble um, because I don't want anybody to shout at me. So you would put the parking ticket on and then run away. Um, and I think <laughs> when so, when you become a teacher, I think some people struggle with that, um, just the role, you know, standing at the front of the class and saying, okay, everybody be quiet. Oh, please be quiet. I hope you'll be quiet. <laughs> on. Um, but I never had that because when you've been in the police for a while, you just become... I guess bossy. <laughs> you, you have an aura. You have an aura of expecting to be uh, to be obeyed. Um, that makes it sound a little bit like a, a concentration camp or something. It's not like that. I just mean it gives you it gives you the confidence that I think helps your uh, you as a teacher. Yeah, it sounds like the, the confidence part is uh, is is what you're, what it's bringing from your from your police work. Well. Well, how about has that confidence sort of flowed into your uh, you're the, you're the founder of the BTB Press and uh, it, as a publisher and author, and I'm, I'm wondering whether that's uh, confidence is is that kind of what's behind you know getting starting <laughs> starting a, a project like that? I think probably overconfidence helped because uh, I think knowing now how much I didn't know back then. If I'd known back then how much I didn't know, then I probably would never have even tried it. But um, writing was not uh, was not new for me because I'd published books before with a Japanese publisher. And that really, that really wasn't a confidence thing. I, what happened was I was teaching Japanese students 
and I began to notice that they were making the same mistakes uh, all the time. And the um, interesting thing was that because I was learning Japanese at the same time, I could kind of see why they were making the mistake. I could say, okay, that, uh, I see what you're doing there. So I thought it would be kind of a good way to practice Japanese for me to write the explanations to these mistakes. And I thought that'd be great because if I photocopy it, then I can just give it out and I don't need to explain it to everybody again. So I started doing that and I ended up collecting like this huge pile of them. And one of the students in my class said, you should make a book out of this. And I said, no, there must, somebody must have done this. It's so obvious. And, I, and she said, no, I don't think so. I've never seen anything like this. So she, I said, well, who would publish a book like this? And she was a member of a club that this publisher has. Uh, it's a big publisher. And she said, um, she said, why don't you try them? So it was, it was kind of a strange story. I, I, I just called them out of the blue. And um, this guy answered, I said, can I speak to the English editing department? And this guy answered the phone. And I said, um, I've written some stuff. I don't know whether it could ever be a book or not. Would you mind taking a look at it? And what was strange was that um, the guy who answered the phone, just by chance, I found out later, was known as the company's star maker. He was the guy who found new talent. But it wasn't, I hadn't particularly called him. He just happened to pick up the phone. Uh, right. So he, he said, you know, I, uh, you know, because we don't take answers, you know, we ask people to write books, not the other way around. Um, and the market's flooded. But I don't mind having a look at it and giving you some advice. So I sent it to him and he said, uh, oh, this is quite interesting. Can you send me some more? So I sent some more and it kind of went from that. So there was never a time where I felt that I had the confidence to, to do it. It just kind of happened. And the first book was a was national bestseller. And the second book also made some bestseller lists. And I ended up writing four books for them. So that confidence, I, had, I knew that I, I was able to write books that people found useful. And I knew that there were not very many native speakers of English writing books in Japanese. That if you ever see one, it's generally written by a native speaker and then translated into Japanese. But I was writing uh, that being of the Japanese version. So the problem was that the books were for a general readership. So I'd written all this stuff that I thought was useful for university students, but it didn't exist as a textbook. Um, and I asked them and they said, well, we don't really do textbooks. And so I said, do you mind if I kind of take bits from those and make my own and they said yeah sure so that's where that's how that began and again it didn't it it, it just started with one one book I had a list a vocabulary list that I made from the British National Corpus and other teachers said we'd like to use that with our students where can we get it and I said well you can't because it doesn't it's just on my computer so I thought well okay well I can guarantee I can sell some of those so there was no real risk, you know, I'll print it as many as people want. And then they kind of just went from there. Really. Right. Well, so are, are all the books, you have a large number of books that you publish. I do. Uh, and are they uh, all for Japanese English language learners? They are for English, Japanese, uh, English, Japanese learners of English. Um, but something that I believe quite strongly, I think that the, the international textbooks are quite of quite limited use um, in in a specific context. And I'm I'm a fairly advanced learner of Japanese, but even now, if I'm going to learn Japanese, I want a book that explains it to me in English. I don't want it to explain Japanese to me in Japanese. If I understood, right. if I could read it, I wouldn't need it. Um, mm -hmm. It's kind of a strange thing. So. 
I'm quite big, but you also have the problem of if we write books in Japanese, then the, the native speaking teachers are not going to want to go near them because they don't know what it says. So I, one of the things I do is publish uh, two versions of the same book. So I have a, an all English version or a Japanese version, and then the, the students can have the Japanese version and the teacher can have the, uh, the, uh, the English version. And everybody's, the, we keep the pagination the same. So if the teacher's looking at the top of page 13, the students will also be looking at the top of page 13. Brilliant. Well, one thing I found that was quite interesting was uh, I've taught in New Zealand as well, and I've taught in Singapore. Uh, and so I've actually taught quite a lot of Korean students. And it's quite amazing how, how similar the mistakes that the Korean students make are to the... the I don't, I've never studied Korean, but I'm guessing the structure must be fairly similar to Japanese because of the, the fact that so many of the, the mistakes are the same. Yeah. So I, I actually um, had a, a Japanese, uh, a Korean student who could read Japanese, and she read my book, and she said, "I make all these mistakes too." So um, maybe one day I should learn Korean and write in Korean too. Or somebody should. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so people that are um, interested in your publications, uh, they can go to BTB Press Publications. BTBPress.com. Yeah. Dot com. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'll put a, a link uh, with the with the podcast so people can yeah. uh, have a look. Yeah. About the uh, Cotisol conference, uh, can you share a little bit? Uh, just sort of give us a hint of what you will be talking about at this year's Cotisol International Conference. Yeah, it's. Um, I've recently. I, um, I guess I was the, I was a, a keynote speaker, a plenary speaker at um, JALT. Uh, in 2019, I think. And mm-hmm. that was almost kind of the first time in my life where I've actually seriously, uh, just between us, it's the only time I've ever actually looked at the conference theme and thought, right, I, I actually need to speak about this. <laughs> in, um, in years gone past, I was kind of just talking about whatever I wanted to. So um, it's been really interesting, the whole process of uh, Cotisol, because uh, Michael, who was in charge, sent me, you know, this is the, this is the idea, this is the... Uh, the, the theme of the conference, how can you fit in with this? Um, and that's it's really interesting when you when you actually when you actually do that. So I, I recommend it. The theme was about the future and you know how things are going to change. Right. And I thought uh, I thought about it for a few days, and I thought it's actually would be actually be kind of interesting to look at it from the opposite perspective of what's not going to change because we don't know. There's a lot of things we don't know about the future. We can make guesses. In fact, anything we say about the future is going to be a guess. There are things that we know are going to happen, but we don't know when they'll happen. Um, but there are some things we, you know, we don't know whether they'll happen. There's also things that happen where we they don't have the effect that you thought they would. So I think um, about two or three years ago, a lot of people in the publishing industry thought that paper textbooks were dead. You know, everybody's going to have an iPad, the students. And, and why not? You know, it makes a lot more sense. You can have one iPad or tablet and you can carry all of your books on that. But it somehow mm-hmm. hasn't worked like that. Um, people seem to like paper and they like the tactile thing. So that that kind of thing, I'm going to look in my talk at what will what we know is not going to change. And we know it's not going to change because it's fundamental to who we are. Um, and fundamental to the nature of language learning, and also fundamental fundamental to the nature of institutional teaching, because there are you know that teaching is done in a classroom with a teacher, 
with students. And as long as that doesn't change, if that dynamic is not changing, then there's, there are other things that we can say, well, these things are not going to change either. So I'm going to have a look at um, not what will be different in 10 years, but what will be the same in 10 years and 50 years. Well, we've just come through a, a time of change in the last year with the coronavirus pandemic. How much of that, uh, the changes that, that we've kind of forced on us, how much has that sort of changed your perspective uh, on technology and language teaching? That's a really interesting question. I think that, I think it's almost proved my point, um, the point that I made before, because what we're trying to do is, is do the same things that we were doing before, but through technology. So it's not like we've said, let's, let's just stop doing all those things we were doing before. Let's stop group, let's stop pair practice, let's stop group work, let's stop, but we, we're doing, like, how can we do this using technology? And so that actually, I think the way that we're using the technology highlights the fundamentals. It says, what are the things that no matter how the technology changes, we're still going to want to do this? For example, in a language class, there has to be interaction. There's got to be interaction in some way. And whether you're um, facilitating that through technology or whether you're doing it face to face, it's still interaction. And there are still um, you know, basic points uh, to, that, that won't change. I think um, for my university, we have uh, in the first semester, we were completely online. So there was a huge, I think like most people around the world, there was this huge learning um, curve, this very steep learning curve. Indeed. where we had to experiment with different things and find out what worked and what didn't work. But again, to come back to my point, where we've ended up is, uh, I'm the, the director of the, the Language Centre in Giffey University, so I'm kind of responsible for about, I think it would be about 2,000 students at a time uh, because wow. everybody in the university has to take our classes. And what we've found is that what we've, we began doing the uh, totally online and then we, and that since... Uh, October, we've moved to a kind of hybrid approach where we do face-to-face -face one week and then online the next week. And the reason for doing that was just to reduce the number of students on campus at one time. But what we've found is that the way we do the lessons has come more and more back to the way we used to do them before. So, but it's just that we're using Zoom. So we're basically doing the same thing that we did before, but we found uh, ways to, to do it. So we've adapted the technology to what we want it to do rather than the technology having introduced this completely new way uh, of working. Right. What what's, uh, sort of technology or apps are you utilizing or have you utilized over the last year with, uh, your, with the Zoom portion of your classes? Uh, with Zoom, I think the thing that we've used the most, one of the, um, the benefits of having this experience has been finding out stuff that we didn't know before. Uh, one of these is, for example, we didn't know that all of the students in our university automatically have an Office 365 account. Um, wow. And why we didn't know, I guess, because we never knew, needed to know. It never, never really occurred to us. I guess the students knew, but we weren't using it, so it didn't, didn't really bother us. But now we've found out, you know, for example, OneDrive, um, all of the students can put stuff on OneDrive. So, for example, in a, in a writing class, that's great because I can create a folder to be checked and the students upload their stuff and they put it in to be checked. And then I can edit it and I can track changes, uh, mm -hmm. you know, Microsoft Word, and then I can add comments. Yeah. And then I move it to a folder called checked so that they, the students, all they need to do is look in the folders. Is it, is it in the checked folder? If not, I haven't done it yet. 
um, right. and then they can go in there and then they can uh, they can access it. But rather than you know doing it by hand, it's it's much quicker and it's also a, a better record. And then yeah. also yeah. Um, three sixty five stream Microsoft Stream gives us the ability to share videos very easily. Where you know we could do that on YouTube before, but um, you're always a little bit worried with YouTube about uh, you know where it's going to where the video is going to get to and the school is very yeah. so with the stream it stays within the yes the, because the schools. It's, an it's an organizational contract so the right. school's happy for us to use it and even if anything did happen we wouldn't be blamed for it because we're working within the school system so. right right well that's something i wouldn't mind having at my school <laughs> it's one that's wonderful uh yeah. It's one of, one of the things with all the technology that's out there. It's hard not to be fragmented in your approach. You know, trying to find what works best, and you you kind yeah. of get into a quagmire of applications. That's definitely true. And, and what the students don't want is every teacher using a different one. So exactly. you know, you go okay in this class, I have to use this. In that class, I have to use that. And we, we've been very very careful about that. We've been uh, we coordinate now. Every teacher's doing this in the same way, so it doesn't. You know, if you're in English one or English two or English three or English four, it's going to be run in the same way. Um, right. So yeah, that's wow. the, that big thing for us. I like I like the organization. So um, uh, about you, you know, we're talking about uh, the the classroom and the teaching and Cotisal, but I'm kind of curious about uh, what makes David Barker tick. So uh, what what kind of projects do you have in mind? Any kind of you know personal projects for twenty twenty one? Um, I I'm very much into um, fitness. I like cycling. I like running. Uh, I would like to. I kind of have this dream of running a a five k in under. Well, actually, I want to run a twenty a ten k in under forty minutes. That's my goal, but. To do that, I have to do a five k in under twenty minutes, which I still can't do. So, um, I have that uh, that that goal. Although it's, all the races are cancelled, I was entered into a cyclocross race last weekend. Ah. I was very excited about that, looking forward to it. And then the two days before, it was all cancelled, and the rest of the season's been cancelled. Um, so that's one thing. The other thing, I'm kind of because partly because of this uh, this pandemic, I've begun to make videos for students. They're kind of back at my classes. And um, because I write books, I have Adobe software, the creative, I think it's called Creative Cloud CC, Adobe CC. And I, I use InDesign and sometimes Illustrator. But I found there's all kinds of um, wonderful goodies in that package. And just recently, I've started using, I uh, started learning Premiere Pro. We live in, in an incredible time where you can, we have the best teacher in the world, which is YouTube. Almost anything you want to know. I have a friend who, who knows how to use Premiere Pro and I asked him, would you be able to answer my questions? And he said, sure. I haven't had any questions because every question I have is a <laughs> YouTube video explaining how to do it. Um, sure. So I'm, I'm, I'm interested in learning that. And I kind of would like to have a YouTube channel. Uh, in the, I've done that in the past, but I, I would like to do it for... I work in the Faculty of Education and so we visit schools and I would like to make videos that, that kind of support the teachers uh, where, you know, it's a kind of an explanation of the uh, of the stuff that they're learning in the textbooks, but maybe with a bit making it a bit more natural and, and a little bit more uh, pronunciation work. So I'm kind of interested in doing that. 
Well, it sounds like uh, you're a busy guy, and uh, you're, <laughs> do, you're doing some good work, too, I think, in, in my Thank opinion. You. I hope to. I hope to. Overall, I'm, I'm just going to slide back maybe into the education because I'm with all this work you're doing. Where is it going to take you? Where is it going to take us? Where is education going to be in you know, five, ten years that's a really interesting question. I think that uh, that'll be the topic of my talk, but I think it's kind of, there's, there's two, you can split the world of language education into two different things here, which is institutional and non-institutional. So um, I'm learning, I love languages, I'm learning French, Italian and Welsh at the moment on my, uh, on my smartphone. And um, that's totally different from the way that I learned them in school. So I never learned Italian in school, but it's completely different. But then when I look at the, the way that I'm teaching my students, and not just me, but what we're doing, it's, it's actually not that different to the way that I learned language when I was in school. And that was, you know, 50, not 50, 45 years ago or 40 years ago. So I think we're going we're gonna to see this split um, where the way people learn languages by themselves is different, quite different from the way that they learn it in institutions. Uh, and I'll, t I'll talk a little bit about that. But like I said before, I'll be looking at what are the fundamental, even, even with apps and even with smartphones, there are still fundamentals that don't change. You know, for example, you can, you can be on your smartphone seven hours a day learning Italian. Unless you use it, you're not going to learn it. It's, it's simply not going to happen. Uh, and that's, that's a, fun, a, lang a learning fundamental that, that crosses all the boundaries. And those are the kind of things I'm going to talk about in my, uh, in my uh, lecture. I'm going to talk about things that we know um, are not going to change. Right. Well, my guest today has been publisher, author, English language educator, and father, David Barker. <laughs> David will be speaking at the Cotisol International Conference being held online February 19th to 28th. And we look forward to your, your conference presentation. It sounds uh, exciting. Thank you for speaking with us today, David. Thank you for having me. I'm very much looking forward to the conference. This podcast presentation has been brought to you by the Youngin Gyeonggi chapter of Kotisal, a nonprofit organization dedicated to promoting scholarship, dissemination of information, and facilitating cross-cultural understanding of teaching and learning English in Korea. Thank you for listening. Mm -hmm.